BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you a football fan looking for the latest analysis and news on the Jacksonville Jaguars? You're in the right place. Black and Teal, baby. Welcome to the Gen Jag Podcast with your host, Jordan DeLugo. Move those chains. Here's your host, Jordan. What up, Duval? Welcome to the 48th episode of the Gen Jag Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by my co-host, Scott Klein. We're without Hunter Evans today. He's still in the middle of his uh, high school football season over there coaching at Creekside, but shout out to him. Make sure to go check out Hunter on Twitter, at Coach H underscore Evans. So, I'm in a jovial mood today, even though the Jaguars really disappointed. Not only Jaguar fans, but, you know, much of the NFL media predicted the Jaguars to win that game. Pretty big disappointment. Uh, we'll get into that more, but how are you doing today, Scott? Good, good. Feeling, unfortunately, a bit like Jeff Fisher. Just about right, hovering right about 500. Just having, having signs of life. Ain't and no then, seven and nine bullshit. But, no, I mean, I had a good weekend other than, other than Sunday. But, um, yeah, doing all right. The Not Texas one? They had a close game against Oklahoma, Oklahoma right. where they should have gotten blown out. But they so you're back. happy that they played well? Yeah, I mean, we had a freshman quarterback. I was not freshman happy. quarterback that you like. He's a good. He's a good quarterback. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's clearly the the the, the guy um, moving forward. Um, went down twenty to nothing. Obviously, wasn't happy about that. Came storming back. Made it a one possession game at the end. So yeah, we'll get those. SOBs across the border next year. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just pumped up because NBA season is yeah. starting again. I'm a huge Orlando Magic fan. So, you know, I've been dealing with uh, pretty pathetic professional sports teams <laughs> yeah. for the last decade or so. Magic were last good in 2009, uh, went to the NBA Finals. But they play the Heat tonight, so I'm pumped up to see that. It's cool that they opened the season with a rivalry game. Uh, so, have a chance to get one up on the Heat and win their first opening day game since 2012. Oof. Yeah, kind of sucks. Oh my god. <laughs> but, I digress. This is a Jaguar show, not a Magic show. Uh, again, this is the 48th episode. We're almost at number 50. It's exciting stuff there. Uh, this show, every show, presented by Bolt City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Jim Jag Podcast. Their anniversary party, we've been telling you about it for a few weeks now. It's this weekend, Saturday, 
October 21st at their original Roselle location in Riverside. $2 pints all day. They open at 1. I'm sure the party will be uh, rocking all night long. And they're going to they're gonna have food, live music, $2 pints, all sorts of fun stuff. You can check them out um, at BoldCityBrewery.com. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Bold City Brewery. Thanks to those guys. They've hooked us up with some great beers today. We've got Oktoberfest and a pumpkin ale. You know, tis the season for both of those beers, obviously. And uh, Lou's Dunkel Lager, which is just a really nice uh, mainstay that they have over at their new downtown location. Make sure to check them out over there as well. Downtown will be closed this Saturday, though, for the ninth anniversary party over at Roselle. Everybody's all in for that. They don't need to have a second location, <laughs> location open for that day. Uh, Lord Ramsey shirts. We've still got a few left. Uh, we're trying to get rid of them. We want to get rid of them before we make another order on them. So check them, check them out on our website, ginjag.com. You can also find the latest news, analysis, videos, podcasts. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast uh, at ginjag.com. And join us this weekend. Watch party at Bricks Tap House for all the away games. We'll be over there. There's free brunch for everyone who shows up from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then there's drink specials all day. There's going to be a bunch of us out there enjoying the Jaguars. Uh, so far, it's been much more pleasant watching the games at Bricks than it has been at home, unfortunately. <laughs> but hopefully that continues. You know, the Jaguars are undefeated in odd weeks, and week seven is an odd week. And we're away. That's, That's right. a double whammy. It's good. It's a recipe for success for the Jaguars, no doubt about it. So uh, without further ado, let's get into our rundown. We have to recap the Rams' loss. Pretty upsetting one there in terms of the way it went down. You know, it wasn't even a it wasn't a game where you can say, well, the Jaguars really laid it out on the line and they just got beat by a better team. That's what you want to feel when you mm. lose a game but you really didn't feel that after that loss so that's really upsetting preview of Jaguars versus Colts obviously we'll look around the AFC South really tight division race really heating up it's a lot of fun we'll get into a lot more than that as well pro football focus uh, minute we'll get into our keep one let one walks as well so got a lot to get into let's start with the well first before we get into the Rams recap We'll just get into some news and notes from what's been a pretty interesting week so far. Jason Myers was cut yeah. uh, by the team, released by the team, replaced by Josh Lambeau, kicker from Texas A&M. He entered the NFL the same year as um, Jason Myers, 2015. I don't and know why, but suddenly I immediately hate the move so much. Just, okay. for te- just for, I didn't realize he was from Texas A&M. He is, Texas A&M, that's right. That uh, sucks. <laughs> but he's a guy who has marginally better accuracy mm-hmm. in terms of his career percentage than Jason Myers. Uh, they're both right around 81%. Josh Lambeau's slightly higher. He spent 2015 and 2016 being the chief starting kicker. Um, he's certainly better from PAT distance. He's kept his PAT percentage well above 90% through his career, which Jason Myers has struggled to do. And he's also extremely accurate inside of 40 yards. He really doesn't miss inside of 40 yards. Uh, Obviously, Jason Myers, part of why he got cut was because of two misses outside of 40 yards, two misses from 54 yards against the Rams. And 
those two misses, if Josh Lambeau was kicking them, those field goals would have tied his career long. So maybe his leg isn't quite as big as Meyer's leg, but if it's a little bit more accurate, I think everyone will take that. And in terms of kickoffs, his kickoff percentage is, or his touchback percentage is above 60%. He kicks way more touchbacks on kickoffs than allows returns. So that's good, obviously. Yeah, I mean, all, all jokes aside, it's something where watching the game, you, could, you, you just knew. It's the, the experiment's over. No confidence. Yeah, he's he's absolutely in his in his own head. Um, you can't move forward with that. Guy. And even the comments after the game were getting snippy with the the media. Yeah, um, he yeah, just, he had some really sarcastic responses. <laughs> to oh, he was. They asked about the missed mixed uh, missed uh, field goals. He was like, "Oh, it feels great, man. It just feels bleeping awesome." Yeah. And I'm like, "Okay, this guy's <laughs> and yeah, losing it." <laughs> Not an amazing picture in terms of clarity or anything, but there's a picture of him uh, taking the helmet to the water cooler. Yeah. <laughs> after the second miss. Just a lot of frustration just building up. And it's the kicking game is so psychological. Like it, um, the mental oh, side of it. It's crazy. I mean, you can see Roberto Aguayo, who's yeah. one of the best college kickers of all time. He can't make anything in the NFL. Yeah. So it's frustrating, obviously, for Myers. But. Can't dwell on the past. Got to move forward with Lambeau. He's a guy that, like I said, is accurate inside of 40 yards. Seemingly, you should know what you're going to get with him more than you do with Myers. Mm -hmm. If you're asking Lambeau to kick a 54-yard 50 yard field goal, you're not going to be too confident. Mm -hmm. But if he's kicking a 39-yard field goal or a PAT, you feel very confident. Whereas when Myers was out there from short distance, you felt like it was a crapshoot. And if you're going to have one or the other, more often than not, you're going to be kicking inside the 40 right. or an, hopefully an extra point. So, I mean, even if it's not a huge upgrade, just the, the change of the face, just the, the relief of all this tension that's built yeah, up from happen. the fan base. If The next big miss... That he made, like the next big kick that he missed, it would be a volcano erupting. Yeah. So, it, it, Josh Lambeau it buys him a little time, and he's comparable. I've actually, the past couple of years, he's been more consistent. Clearly, so it's it. It was just something that had to happen, and um, let's move forward. Move Absolutely. on. Best of luck to you, Jason Myers. But sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Good guy, like the guy, but got to move on. Brandon Linder, Marquise Lee, Leonard Fournette, and surprisingly, A.J. Boye all out of practice today. Uh, Linder dealing with an illness that's kept him out of the last two games. You got to wonder what the hell's going on with him. Yeah, I, they said he's starting to work out, starting to lift weights again. There's, I can't even begin to imagine what is going on. I don't want to speculate too much, but that's got to be... <laughs> Something serious. Yeah, so it it's just kind of a head-scratcher. It's kind of like the ivory situ situation last year where it was just hospitalized yeah. randomly. Thankfully, Tyler Shatley's been playing very yeah. well in his absence, mm -hmm. even against some very tough competition. Uh, Marquise Lee was out with a knee. He's been getting banged up with different injuries <laughs> every week, but he's powering through it. I don't expect him to miss the game. If he misses the game, I mean, uh -oh. 
If Marquise Lee can't go in any game, specifically this weekend, you're looking at Jalen Strong has to play his first game as a Jaguar. Mm. And then you're looking at Alan Hearns, Max McCaffrey, and... um, Keelan Cole as your wide receiver. Not exactly a murderer's row. Yeah, so that's really rough. You want to see Lee get back out there soon. Leonard Fournette held out with an ankle. All of Jacksonville, all the world paused when Fournette went down against the Rams with that ankle injury. Fortunately, it seems like he's going to be okay. They're going to rest him, obviously, for a little bit this week. They don't want to push it, but... Again, he's a guy that you think is probably going to play this Sunday. Oh, yeah. Tape it up. and He's probably not going to practice at all this week. Yeah. And just save him for the game. A.J. Boye has a hamstring. He was also held out of practice. He's a guy you expect to play. Precautionary. Mm-hmm. So, uh, other than that, we've got Return of the Teal. Yeah. So we're going to be wearing the teal alternate uniforms against the Cincinnati Bengals November 5th. Yep. So that's exciting. Any Jaguar fan will tell you teal is the Jaguar's color, not gold, not black. Teal is the most important color, most unique color. And I think we'll see a shift back in that direction with these Supposed new, yeah, they're reimagined uniforms. Everything you're hearing is there's going to be new uniforms that's going to feature a lot more teal. And the last time the Jaguars wore the teal alternate uniform was 2013, the first year they got these new uniforms. So it seems fitting that they will also wear them, don them one last time. <laughs> yeah, the uh, teal uniform one last time before they move on in a different direction, hopefully into a one tone helmet direction. I'm sure all of Duval would be happy about <laughs> that. So, Jags Rams, tell me what what stood out to you most. There's a lot to pick from. Man, that was a whirlwind of a 25 seconds to start the game. It was just, it looked like, what, what, I can't even remember the wide, uh, Pharaoh Cooper was that? Pharaoh Cooper, yeah. He, he, it looked like he was down three or four times. I, I kind of looked away because I was like, oh, he's just going to get rid- ridden out of bounds. Yeah. I turn around and he's walking into the end zone. Poor tackling, absolutely. Unbelievable. I didn't think there was a chance he got, got was tiptoeing along the sidelines and it just, he just was the magic man <laughs> and just made it work. And then the net, very next play, uh, the first line, the fir- first play from scrimmage, Fournette breaks another one. 75-yard touchdown. Ooh. Doesn't get caught from behind. The second fastest play uh, this year behind his own. Yeah. The 90-yard run. Um, Special teams is the name of the game. It was a huge just thorn in the paw of the Jaguars all day. It set set the Rams up in great field position. It took points off the board with field goal misses. It was just... Completely lackluster from a guy in Brad Norman who has been spectacular for most. Yeah, of the he season. was really good in Pittsburgh. Really flipped the field a lot. And he kind of towards the end of the game starting starting to get it back together. But in the I think the very first punt he did it, he shanked it and went about sixteen yards. And they were they were Immediately in field position. In field goal range. They went three and out and they kicked a field goal. Yeah, it's un, uh, it was just. Unbelievable. Unreal. The, the special teams mishaps. But 
there's so much that went wrong. Um, the defense played well. There's no denying that. The run defense... Still left a bit to be desired. Yeah. But upon a further inspection by yourself mm-hmm. of the defense as a whole, some yeah. pretty encouraging numbers. I mean, looking just at the defense alone, there was 11 total drives, if you don't count the last for one. For the Rams. For the Rams. If you don't count the last one where they just ran the clock out. Six of those drives, they were held to single-digit yards or negative yards. Only two drives were over 40 yards. It's crazy to think about. You would think that, that that's a blowout waiting yeah. to happen. Yeah. There's like they're, they're, and perhaps it could have been, but not for those special teams blunders. Yep. And really some poor officiating. Oh, on my goodness. On several calls, two that stood out the most. Uh, Marquise Lee, Jaguars are deep in their own uh, territory. Third down, Marquise Lee gets mugged in front of the referee. Everyone in the stadium He's saw still it. looking for his wallet. Um, no call. Leads to a blocked punt that gets recovered for a touchdown. Just demoralizing at that point. And then you've also got Aaron Colvin, who was able to scoop and score for a touchdown. Uh, gets called back. The ruling on the field was that the receiver uh, was down by contact, which automatically means that even if it, the call gets overturned, which it did, to where the Jaguars get the ball, that the uh, return basically is nullified. And referees are being taught to not blow the whistle. Let the play keep going. Because there's a review. The and then fall you, you can go back and reverse something, but then it, had they called it a touchdown, and it shouldn't have been a touchdown, they could have gone back and reversed it. But it happens. because they blew the whistle, they couldn't allow the touchdown to get put on the board. Plays like this happen multiple times a week in, in football. It, they never blow it dead. Ever. And then... Then the Jaguars Jaguars happened. It was just unreal. I've never seen... There was a play later that day where you just let the play run out and review it. And then you get it right no matter what. Yeah. Now you're just taking points off the board. Yeah, pretty frustrating, obviously. And the Jaguars are undefeated this season when they've scored a defensive touchdown. And that defensive touchdown would have really been a game changer. Yeah, for an offense that really... You couldn't trust that they were going to be able to put points on the board. Right. You know, you look at the running game for the Jaguars last week. Uh, Fournette had the 75-yard run to start the game, and then after the first quarter, he was held to 30 yards on the ground. Uh, The Rams started running a goal-line defense in the middle of the field, (laughs) putting eight guys in the box. They had a 6-2 front. I mean, they were doing all sorts of crazy stuff, which, you know, Wade Phillips is down to do anything that can throw off the other team, but the Jaguars couldn't adjust to it. Yeah, it's it's basically do everything you can. I think so, somebody even tweeted that they were listening to the Rams' wired section where, you know, they, they, they're mic'd up. One of, They heard one of the Rams' uh, defensive coaches just say, just stop the run. They can't beat us. They're not going to do anything in the air. Yeah. Just stop the run. And that's, that's the blueprint. And if we don't have a quarterback or wide receivers that are capable 
of breaking that and punishing teams, we're going to end up with games like, like this past week. Well, we're, and part of the problem, though, is that they had just never even seen anything like that. It was literally a goal line front in the middle of the field. But it works. <laughs> and and for, that means basically you either have one single high safety or there's no help on the back end. And it's just man on man. And to be able to go play in and play out and not have to be forced to change out of that, it's just it's kind of embarrassing. It's a real indictment on the offense, in my opinion. But we already knew the offensive, uh, at least passing attack, was fairly incompetent heading into that game. So it's not really too much of a surprise that Blake Bortles couldn't find a way to take advantage of it. With an average quarterback, just average. I'm not talking a top five draft pick that we have. (laughs) I'm not talking a Pro Bowl quarterback. I'm talking just average we probably have one or two losses this year, at most. And it's something that should have been addressed, and it wasn't. And now we're hopefully not wasting a season, but it's, gonna, it's, it's, just, it's hard to win if you can't throw the ball. It is. And, you know, We'll get into that a little bit more as we preview the Colts game because I want to see the Jaguars do some different things offensively in terms of schematics, but uh, we'll get into that, like I said, when we get to the Colts. So, despite the defense giving up five yards of carry to Todd Gurley, they were still really holding the Rams in check offensively, mm-hmm. and it's just Got to be insanely frustrating for that defense. Yep. To watch the offense trot out on the field, not be able to do anything. Blake Bortles just not be able to do... To take advantage of a defense that is allowing you to pass the ball, you can't do it. <laughs> They're begging you to pass the ball. Because they know we can't. Yeah. Very frustrating. But, Jaguars, quick turnaround. Play the Colts this weekend in Indianapolis. A lot on the line for the Jaguars in terms of that matchup. They've got they've got to stick with the uh, you know there's a three way tie for the division lead right now between the Texans and Titans and Jaguars. Texans are off this weekend. Titans play the Browns, so Jaguars need to stay you know keep up with the Joneses so to speak, and they don't want to fall behind. To the Titans, obviously. Titans are coming off a nice win against the Colts. Uh, And then you don't want to let the Colts back in the division race either. If the Jaguars lose this game, they're tied with the Colts. In the division. At the The bottom of the division. Without Andrew Luck. The luckless Colts. That's right. So there's a lot that the Jaguars have riding on this game. Let's go ahead and get into it. Where do we start? Uh, They're bad and they should feel bad. (laughs) The Colts or the Jaguars? Yeah. <laughs> At this point, it applies to both. But no, the Colts. I mean, this is not a good team. Um, they've beaten some pretty also not good teams. Um, Jacoby Brissett, actually playing pretty pretty decent. Yeah. You know, not, not killing them. Doing more than Scott Tolsey ever did. 
Absolutely. Um, the defense is terrible. Offensive line is falling apart. Jack Muhort just went on IR. Um, but they have talent in spots, but not really any shining stars outside of, like, let's say, T.Y. Hilton. Right, who um, isn't allowed to flourish without yeah. Andrew Luck. Um, so it's it's just a lot of parts that are riding on one cog of the wheel, and that cog is just now starting to throw again. <laughs> well, he actually, uh, this just got released before we came on here. Andrew Luck suffered a setback today there he's got soreness in the shoulder so he's not even going to practice the rest of this week and they'll come back to it next week so they still don't have a timetable for him to return gotta be very frustrating for Colts fans obviously but uh, moving on a little bit last week the Colts really played the Titans tough for The first half, they really were putting it to the Titans, playing very well. Second half, they started to wilt a little bit. Fourth quarter, it just seemed like they had no chance to stop the Titans and Marcus Mariota. Uh, They made some nice plays defensively, and they have some nice players, most of whom aren't playing all that well. Vontae Davis is not playing very well. you know, he's supposed to be one of the top, at least top 10 corners in football, and he's not really getting it done. Jonathan Bostic, he's former Florida Gator linebacker. He's racking up a lot of statistics in terms of tackles and such, but he really hasn't been all that effective in terms of uh, making impact plays. He's getting tackles, but they're not the type of tackles that you're looking for all the time. Uh, Jonathan Hankins is playing pretty damn well. Uh, in the middle, defensive tackle that came over from the Giants. He's a guy that the Jaguars have to worry about. Malik Hooker, rookie. Jaguars passed on him in favor of Leonard Fournette. Free safety from Ohio State. Has all the range in the world. 19 tackles, 3 interceptions so far this year. He's playing very well against the pass but pretty terrible against the run. And that's not shocking. He's a smaller guy in terms of uh, guys that are out there playing safety. But he's got incredible range. So it'll be interesting to see what those guys are able to do. Really, the guy that's playing the best out there for the Colts is Rashawn Melvin, who's really kind of a journeyman cornerback. But he's playing really strong football against the pass and against the run. So... He's a guy to keep an eye on as they uh, as we move through that game, obviously. So, uh, what else are you looking for, Scott? I mean, looking at the other side of the ball, it's kind of more the same. You know, Marlon Mack had a good game. I think it was like he had like 90 yards and a touchdown on something like six carries. Yeah, he's a guy, like, if you're a Colts fan, he's one of the few guys you're really excited about newcomers and guys that are just actually performing well. Yeah, so I mean, they have a young running back out of USF. Um, I think he's a rookie this year. Yeah, he's USF's all-time leading rusher. Outside of that, Frank Gore is old. (laughs) He Um, is. He's only averaging three and a half yards a carry, but you still see 
the stuff from Frank Gore that you've always seen. It's just that offensive line ain't doing much. Yeah, they the, their offensive line went from bad to bad and injured <laughs> with Muhort being out. Um, the wide receiver core outside of T.Y. Hilton is, okay, Dante Moncrief, he, he's not my cup of tea, but obviously he's, he's a serviceable wide receiver. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> I've always liked him. Um, he, to me, he's just a guy that's reliable. Yeah. I like him. <laughs> Moving on. But, you know, I mean, there's there's not really too much looking at their offense that I'm worried about at all besides T.Y. Hilton. And even then, no matter who, what corner we put him on, he did have a good game against Jalen Ramsey last year. Um, T.Y. Hilton can do that. Adjusting, but yeah. yeah. But look at the gauntlet of wide receivers that we've gone through this year. Um, so, in, in, with the backup quarterback, it's just we should be able to control the pace of the game with our defense, and hopefully that will roll over into a lot of possessions for the offense where, you know, the water keeps rising, maybe the dam will break, and we'll be able to score some points. That's really the game plan is just to completely shut down this offense because – to be honest, they should not be able to have any kind of success against us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, neither should have the Jets. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, you don't know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis. But it seems like a game where the Jaguars have an answer at every level or at every position for the Colts. They have better players Maybe save quarterback. We don't know what you're going to get from Blake Bortles on a week-to-week basis. Uh, it'll be really interesting. The Getting back to uh, the Colts' offense, they have a really bad offensive line. We know that, but statistically it's performing very poorly. They've given up 18 sacks already this season. Jaguars lead the league in sacks with 23 this needs to be one of those, I'm not going to say 10-sack performances, because that's probably never going to happen again for the Jaguars, <laughs> at least not for a very long time. But um, last week the Jags got three sacks. The week before they got two sacks. You want to see the Jaguars put together a really dominant pass rush performance in this one against an offensive line that's clearly <laughs> undermatched. I want to see you know five sacks, mm-hmm. something like that. I want to see Calais Campbell get to the quarterback again. He's been doing that all year, in my opinion. And let's segue into Calais Campbell talk for a second here. Calais Campbell is, in my opinion, the defensive MVP of the NFL so far. I wrote an article on this this week already. He has 32 quarterback pressures, second in the league. 14 quarterback hits, first in the league. Eight sacks which is only uh, it's second in the league, only half a sack behind a Marcus Lawrence. This is a guy that has completely transformed the Jaguars' defense, and he came into Jacksonville thought of as a really, really good run defender that could also give you some pass rush. Well, he's been about as good as you can be at both so far this season. Yeah, I was going to say he's in the top, I think, top three or four 
in run stops this year right. as well. So uh, burying the lead on PFF Minute here, but oh, <laughs> let's go ahead and get to that since we're on the subject. Calais Campbell, he has the second most run stops weeks two to six this year. So, I mean, he has ten run stops. And stops are basically uh, runs that don't go for any game. So that is really awesome. He's just been a revelation for the Jaguars. Uh, Like I said, he's getting after the passer. He's stopping the run. He's allowing the other defensive linemen around him to perform at a much higher level in terms of um, Unique Ngakwe and Dante Fowler both of whom have four sacks. Unique Ngakwe has three forced fumbles, leads the league um, in forced fumbles. He's transformed the Jaguars' pass rush from a pass rush in years past that couldn't get anything going into the most feared pass rush unit in all of football, which is in turn allowing the secondary to play even better football. When you, when you have a quarterback that doesn't have time to get the ball off. He th- he's going to throw up some duds, and the Jaguars secondary has been picking them off all year. Also, you know, the linebackers have been doing their work as well. Tubman Smith has two interceptions on the season. So Calais Campbell's really transformed the team. He's a leader on the field and off it. He's just been fascinating to be around. Last week on ESPN, he had a segment where he's prank calling some of his teammates, asking him to do some crazy stuff. So Calais Campbell, for my money, six weeks in, defensive MVP of the NFL. I completely agree. I mean, when you look at it, he seems to check off all the boxes. He's a great guy, great leader. Um, It's exciting to have somebody who's just a dominating force on this defensive line again. His pace that he's currently on, eight sacks through six weeks. He's on pace to get 21.3 sacks this year. Obviously, we'll round down to 21 there. (laughs) Or we can round up to 21.5, either way. But the NFL record for sacks in the season is 22 and a half. That's nuts. He's on an unbelievable tear. It's been really something special. And people could point to the fact that he had you know, the four sacks in his first game, but he's had his sacks in all the games after that. He keeps getting after it. And since then, the Houston offensive line has been better. It's not one of the better ones in the league, but they haven't well, been a league they're freaking, uh, The Houston statistics are going to be screwed over for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the year just because of giving up 10 sacks yeah. in a game. I mean, how do you overcome that? I don't think you really can. But... Shout out to Calais, just absolutely killing it. And if we're going to talk about Calais, I also want to talk about uh, Leonard Fournette, talking about kind of some of the historical stuff going on with the Jaguars here. Leonard Fournette is on pace in 2017 through six weeks to get more rushing yards and touchdowns in 2017 than Fred Taylor ever did in a single season. That's nuts. That's insane. He's only a couple yards shy, pace-wise, and uh, of Maurice Jones-Drew's Jaguars record from 2011, where Mojo got 1,606 yards. Right now, Fournette's, I believe, on pace for 1,597. 
So he could easily he could easily blow all those numbers out of the water. We'll see what happens. He's got to stay healthy the rest of the year, which obviously that's a little bit of an issue right now. Doesn't look like he's going to miss any time, but he has just been a man amongst boys, especially over the last few weeks. He's now up to 4.6 yards of carry on the season. Second in the NFL in rushing yards. Uh, trailing Kareem Hunt, who just had a monumental lead after the first few weeks over everyone in football in terms of rushing yards. And now he just trails Kareem Hunt by, I believe, 30-some-odd yards, maybe 40-something. So he's hot on the heels of, of Kareem Hunt, and I don't see much stopping him save injury from winning Rookie of the Year yeah, and winning the rushing title in the NFL. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's literally gonna be a, a two horse race. It looks like between Kareem Hunt and Leonard Fournette, they're both on a crazy tear right now. Um, I mean, obviously, Kareem, Kareem Hunt has a much better quarterback and offense right. to work through. So he's got he's slowed down a little bit. Yeah. Fournette's really gaining ground. Yeah, no, I mean, and the Steelers just put it on the Chiefs last that year. That was crazy. So we're better than the Chiefs. That's so weird to think about. <laughs> it's a fact, though. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the way it works in the NFL. People always try to do things like that, comparisons, and that's just not the way it works. The Steelers have handed the Chiefs as many losses since the start of 2016 as all the other teams in the NFL combined. Steelers have won three games against them since the start of 2016. And the rest of the NFL has only beaten them three times. So the Steelers, they've got the scheme, they've got the matchups, they've got the mindset <laughs> to just beat the Chiefs. So gosh, the Chiefs got to be praying they don't face them in the playoffs. I know that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, only six weeks in, but that's got to be on the back of their mind. Oh, yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's definitely, especially coming off a five-interception game, It's they're probably just sitting there scratching their heads, like, how did we let this one get away? But when you when you get like seven yards in the first half, that's tough to come back from. No doubt about it. So, getting back to Jaguars-Colts. Jacoby Brissett, we talked about him a little bit. He's an athletic quarterback, played at Florida, excuse me, Florida and NC State. Uh, drafted by the Patriots, traded to the Colts just a few days before the start of the regular season. I believe it was September 3rd, my dad's birthday. Shout out to you, Dad. And really didn't have any time to learn the Colts playbook. Didn't have any time to get familiar with his receiving targets, getting any sort of rhythm with his offensive linemen or running backs. Yet, he hasn't been terrible. He's kept them competitive in most games. Um, He's got three touchdowns, three interceptions on the year. You look at that, you're like, well, (laughs) that's no good. But, again, he doesn't have a lot to work with. And he was put in a tough situation. He's playing pretty well. He does have a couple fumbles. Um, he's a guy that the Jaguars' defense should be salivating against, in my opinion. Yes, he's performed okay, but his two wins he earned for the Colts came against the Browns and the San Francisco 49ers. Colts have not been able to put many points on the board. They're averaging under 20 points a game. 
I don't I don't know if I'm Brissett I'm shaking in my boots right now. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna come out here and see what this team is really made of. I think just looking at matchups, you even you even have a note on here of a couple guys that I'm really have in mind for this game. Avery Jones and Malik Jackson should come out with their hair on fire. Yeah, and they have underperformed to this point in the season, Absolutely. particularly against the run. Mm-hmm. They're your two guys in the middle that have got to stuff the running lanes, and it hasn't been happening yet. Yeah. Avery Jones is the, is the kind of guy who needs to draw a second offensive lineman to help to open up the gaps for the linebackers to fill in or uh, let the defensive, the other defensive ends kind of get pressure and things like that. And it just it doesn't seem like it's happening. Right. He just needs to eat blocks. And he's a guy who can get in and make plays occasionally um, in the passing game. But just be just a big guy. Just eat up bodies. Just make people come... Make have have to be gang tackled yeah. almost. It's honestly hard to understand why the combination of Avery Jones and Malik Jackson hasn't been working against the run. Mm-hmm. The Jaguars' run defense was very good last year. It's very very confusing to be honest, and I think part of the problem has been the change at linebacker. Miles mm-hmm. Jack, he's made a lot of splash plays, but I think maybe down in and down out, there's not as much consistency in terms of knowing where he needs to be mm-hmm. and run fits as much as Paul Puzlesny was able to do in the past. And and you can see linebackers that have been around for a long time kind of know where a play is going a split second before it happens. So you'll see... The ball snaps, and they immediately run to a hole because they know the ball's going there just from formations, from different things that they've been studying throughout the week. And it doesn't seem like there's that hair trigger, you know, split-second thinking going on to where maybe there's some hesitation or maybe getting drawn in um, a little bit too much and not having being able to recover. That's not to say he's played... Poorly, but I do yeah. think in recent weeks he could have performed better against the run. And and he's an athletic freak. You know, his his body's never going to be the issue, and I don't think it ever was the issue. It was more of him grasping, being able to control the defense like Paul Puzlesny did, and and really be able to get people in the right place at the right time. And this might very well just be growing pains. Yeah. Um, or it might be something bigger that. Out, people outside the locker room and the coaches who actually know the scheme and the plays that are being run can really see. Um, I tend to think that it's just Miles Jack getting used to being the quarterback of the defense. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm with you there. But regardless of what it is, it needs to be addressed, and the Jaguars have got to stop the run. Mm-hmm. Colts' offensive weaknesses play into the Jaguars' hands. Very well, in my opinion. Uh, they're very poor running the ball. Like we said, uh, averaging under 100 rushing yards a game, averaging under four yards a carry. This is 
a running game that the Jaguars defense should be able to maybe find their way, build some confidence against the run against these guys. Having said that, you look at the players they'll have out there, Frank Gore and Marlon Mack, they can both do some things. So the Jaguars can't come in overconfident against these guys, in my opinion. But if the Jaguars play their game, there's no way that these these two running backs should be able to really take advantage of them. And then, like we mentioned before, the Colts also have a very poor pass protection. Uh, so Jaguars' pass rush has got to get after those guys. That really plays in the Jaguars' favor for me. And, uh, you know, that pretty much covers a lot of the Jaguars-Colts talk. Uh, another factor that, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, is Jeff, Jeff Triplett is the referee this oh, game. God. <laughs> he calls a lot of penalties. His crew calls a lot of penalties. They've called the third most penalties in the NFL this year. The Jaguars have lost six straight Larry Triplett refereed games. It's crazy how there's that much variance between something that's supposed to be the letter of the law and and just calling penalties as you see them. It's um, crazy. Officiating has become, for me, in the NFL, just perhaps the worst part of the game. Yeah. Um, it's hard to watch at times. You know, especially with the Jaguars, but you look around the league, it's an ec- epidemic, in my opinion. Poor officiating. It, it, it just seems like you turn on a game, or let's say you just type in a name of a team on Twitter. You, there's a good chance you can find somebody complaining about the fish. There's um, there's a, uh, a, fish, uh, a referee who... Uh, the Eagles fans are signing a petition to get him fired. Right. Um, I can't <laughs> remember the referee's name, but yeah, you're right about that. I think 60,000 Eagles fans signed that petition already. The NFL's got to do something about the officiating. I believe hiring more full-time guys, which I think is something that's going to be happening in the future, that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a billion dollar industry multi-billion dollar industry the nfl is and for it to be compromised by such poor officiating if i'm nfl owners i'm livid to me it's it's they're so far in an in-between situation right now between trying to have every single play perfect whether it's reviewing it at a million different angles, slow motion, zooming in, whatever. Between that and a human element using 2020 vision, maybe, to see things happening in live action and be 100% correct on every, every single play. It's impossible. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to have the best of both worlds, and they're just kind of half-assing both of them because of it. And I don't know what the solution is. Because it, to me, there always has to be some sort of official on the field level being able to make those calls. But there's always going to be human error involved in plays like that. For me, the best thing they can do is hire full-time people. Make sure, you know, in terms of uh, 
vetting the officials that there's no sort of uh, mentality where one official really wants to let plays go and the other one doesn't. They want to be letter of the law. The problem is consistency. You see the same type of plays get ruled in different ways week in and week out, and it just can't happen anymore. Drives me crazy. Don't want to go on a tangent about it, but... Like I said, Jaguars have lost six straight games with Jeff Triplett uh, as the referee. However, their last win was in Indianapolis, uh, 2011, with Jeff Triplett crew refereeing. And that was the win that allowed the Colts to get Andrew Luck. Mm. (laughs) So that was really a loss. Uh, Very frustrating. Just something to pay attention to throughout the game. These guys call a lot of penalties. Can the Jaguars stay relatively penalty-free? Um, can the Jaguars get some favorable calls for once? I mean, even we didn't even mention there was an obvious face mask on Leonard Fournette in the uh, Rams game that was not called. I mean, his, his head was just yanked. And you want to see the Jaguars, you know, get their fair end of the bargain. In terms of officiating. So, it's prediction time. Scott, I'll let you start with your prediction. Yeah. What do you think you're going to see and obviously the score? Once again, I feel... I'm just going to reflect on last week a little bit. Everything that I thought was going to happen happened. Except for the special teams. Yeah. Barring... That had to be a nightmare for Joe D. Camillus. Yeah. The Jaguars special teams coordinator... And I meant to bring this up, but you go out, you make signing Peyton Thompson and um, Aurelius Ben, re-signing them, priority signs. You sign Laurenti McRae and several other guys, some of which aren't on the team anymore, uh, for specifically special teams purposes. You bring in Joe DiCamillis, and you get that last week. Yeah. It's, it's something where going into the game, there's no way you could have seen that coming. Um Minus those ga- minus minus those plays, it very well could have been an easy Jaguars win. But comes the breaks. That's part yeah. of football. So I think we get back to our ways, you know, smothering defense. Uh, offense that's built to kind of just control the ball and wear you down. I'm thinking it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I'm thinking 17-6. Um it's going to be handily won, but not in a spectacular fashion like it was in against Pittsburgh or Baltimore or the or the Texans. It's going to be a game where it's never really much of a game, but it's not really out of reach either. Yeah. Um, it's just I don't have enough confidence in this passing game to really expect a ton of points on the board unless the defense can help out. And that's really the, the the recipe for success right now. And it's crazy. Yeah. And that's exactly where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> I think the defense does help out with the scoring. Aaron Colvin's pissed. The whole defense is pissed. They got a touchdown. You calling his first interception this they week? Got a, I'm not calling that. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying the defense is pissed and someone out there is going to get their hands on the ball. And uh, if not, get it into the end zone. Get it very close. Set up Leonard Fournette for a touchdown. Maybe Chris Ivory for a touchdown. Um, I think the Jaguars are going to be a little bit more creative with their offensive play calling. 
I think that uh, perhaps Blake Bortles will keep the ball a few times early on on some uh, plays that could be read options. He had that so many times in the right. last game. And for me, it's that. not even about like those yards that weren't gained. It was about loosening up the defense, making them not be able to just focus on Leonard Fournette. And I'll, and I know I saw it a ton. I know a bunch of people, other people saw it a ton this past week. Marquise Lee or Corey Grant or someone coming around faking the reverse. They did that about 15, 20 times in the first half. Never did that. Never gave him the ball. Yeah. Put some sort of pressure on the outside to open up the middle. Basically, we're just running our heads against the wall in the middle of the offensive line because that's where everyone's focused. Have Marquise Lee come maybe on a jet sweep or something coming across the line, get on the boundary, and and try and get some yards out there and make them think. Right. I like that. I like anything that just throws a wrinkle into what the Colts are trying to do defensively. Maybe some screens. Maybe some wide receiver screens. weren't able to react to what the Rams did last week. Chuck Pagano is a defensive-minded coach for the Colts. He's going to be coming up with some stuff to uh, slow down the running game, no doubt about it. So I really want to see the Jaguars just get more creative on offense early in the game. I think if you get creative early in the game, maybe Bortles doing the read options and keeping the ball, maybe the jet sweep, maybe the wide receiver screens, maybe even just uh, you know some play action deep shots. Loosen that defense up early in the game and... As the game progresses, then you get into pounding the rock. And if if you start out something early and you have success and you can build a lead, you can really you don't have to feel like you need to make something happen. You can almost go into a shell and just eat up seven minutes off the clock, five right. minutes off the clock, and just keep the play keep away. Right. So I mean having success early makes this team infinitely better because we're not forcing things. We're letting the game come to us and playing the game that we really want to do. Yeah, and you know, with Blake Bortles, you know, all those ideas that we have could go for naught <laughs> yeah. if they if they if Bortles just can't complete the pass. But I would like to see that happen. I think that will happen at least to some extent. I think there'll be a little bit more creativity with the offense. Uh, I want the Jaguars defense to load the box at times. Make Jacoby Brissett beat you. Throwing the yep. ball. Yeah. Let Jalen Ramsey and AJ Boye do what they're paid to do. And make Jacoby Brissett throw the ball. Do not let uh, Marlon Mack and Frank Gore beat you running the ball. I don't think they will. And then, like I said prior, get it, they're going to have to get after Brissett. I want to see five sacks. Something like that. I want to see a big sack performance out of the Jaguars. I think all that stuff is attainable. Um, it hasn't happened yet where a game that the Jaguars won was actually even within two scores. <laughs> but I'm predicting that this week. Jaguars 29, Colts 17. Nah. Jaguars are going to give up a touchdown somehow, probably. And 
Perhaps if they're up 29-10 late in the game, the Colts get a late touchdown. Mm-hmm. Something of that nature. And Josh Lambeau's going to be pretty busy that day. It seems. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, ha- I had a different score, 28. But I was like, I think Lambeau's going to get involved in this one. So, 29-17, Jaguars over the Colts. That's what I've got this week. Your score was 17 17-6. 17-6. All right. That wily Terry, I can't get rid of him. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> he he nailed a 51-yarder straight down the pipes against the Titans. He's, so. he's the ageless wonder, I swear. Yeah, and this isn't something we brought up, but the short turnaround for the Colts also could play. Yeah, they had a Monday them. night game so last week. It's not a huge difference, but you know, one day can certainly have an impact. Um, Let's go around the AFC South real quick. We've already talked about two of the AFC South teams ad nauseum here. Texans, they're off this week. They beat the Browns last week pretty easily. They travel to Seattle in Week 8. So they have a really, really tough test in front of them after their bye week. Uh, Deshaun Watson leads the league in touchdown passes remarkably. He's had five or he's had five touchdowns in two games, two separate games. Really incredible. And Seahawks are playing pretty good football right now. They just beat down the Rams. I shouldn't say beat them down. They beat down the Rams offense pretty good though. Yeah. The uh, week that before that they played the Jaguars, obviously, and then so the Texans are three and three. If I have to predict that game, I'm going Seahawks at home, but. We'll get to that next week. <laughs> yeah, who knows what will happen there. But when you're looking at division race implications, you want to see the Texans lose that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titans at Browns. Titans got to win that game. They should win that game. Shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. I mean, the Browns are playing musical chairs with their quarterback. They yeah, can't Deshaun decide. Kaiser's now been announced the starter <laughs> for this week after Hogan replaced him. So maybe, maybe the Titans get, or maybe the Browns get lucky. The Titans. Didn't look stellar, but they got it done against the Colts. Um, they beat the Colts. With a hobbled Marcus Mariota. Yeah. Forced to stay in the pocket, and he made some amazing plays from the pocket. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's Titans probably probably going to win. So it just makes it Which, makes this Colts game that gets so much Titans more important. Four and three. Jaguars have got to keep up with them in the division. Jaguars do still get to play the Browns. Obviously, that's good. But you don't want to fall behind, especially because at this point, the Titans are 2-1 and one in the division. Mm-hmm. The Jaguars are 1-1 one and one in the division. If the Jaguars fall to 1-2 and two in the division, that means even if the Titans and Jaguars are tied at the end of the season, uh, if the Titans still have that better division record... In a three-way tie, this is a three-way tie scenario, which is what we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Three-way tie scenario, Titans have the advantage because of the division record. And in a two-way tie, Titans have the advantage because they beat the Jaguars. Obviously, the Jaguars <laughs> can change that later in the season if they beat the Titans, but... Yeah, ever since I've known you, you've always said you beat your division, you've basically paved your way to the playoffs. Yep. As long as you win your division... Then the rest is the rest should just fall into place, because you, I mean, you these are teams. Not only are you distancing yourself from them, 
you're also you're also pushing them down the pile at the same time. Yeah. So it's it's something where you want to be able to win every division game you can because it almost counts as two. Yeah, division games. I don't think that nationally or just in general they're considered as important as I believe they are. You know, you don't make it to the playoffs just for beating your division opponents, but if you beat your division opponents, it is hard not to make the playoffs. Let's say you go a decent 4-2. and two. Well, you have, let's see, 10 other games to win 5 games five at that point, games, and yeah. you're already leading your division right. at You've that point. Right, you those guys, so... Yeah, you just beat these divisional opponents. Jaguars got to beat the Colts this week. I think they'll get it done. But this is a tight division race, and it'll be really fun to see what happens from here on out. Now, our PFF minute was ruined a little bit by some of our talking points earlier. But we do still have a fun fact about Marquise Lee. He was the second highest graded wide receiver in week six, despite a clear drop. Uh, that, in my opinion, was on him early in the game. Not an easy catch, but a catch that a good receiver needs to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, running towards the sideline, Lee extends his hands, and the ball just bounces off his hands. You know, It's not like he was diving or anything like that. It should have been a catch, in my opinion. But still had a very good game. Mm-hmm. Still made a lot of big plays. And really showed off some agility in that game. Which is always fun to see from Jaguars receivers. Keep one, let one walk. Last week we had Todd Gurley and Leonard Fournette. It's hard to argue again against either guy. I have it as a push. Fournette clearly outgained Gurley on the ground. Uh, But, you know, Gurley's team won. Yeah. It is an interesting matchup. I would say it was more impressive for Fournette because it shows the big play potential. Um, and Gurley wasn't really going up against eight or nine man boxes. No. So, again, take either guy, but I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take the guy that we have. That's right. <laughs> so, this week, Blake Bortles versus Jacoby Brissett and... Long term, I think obviously the answer is Jacoby Brissett just because he's more of an unknown. You don't know what he's going to look like in year four. But usually we talk about building your team around our keep one, let one walk. Let's talk about just right now. Would you rather have Blake Bortles on the Jaguars or Jacoby Brissett for this week? To be honest, if we traded for Jacoby Brissett right now, I would want him starting over Blake Bortles. And that's right now. It's not unfair. It's it's to the point where I there's not a starting quarterback in the league besides maybe Deshaun Kaiser, who I would choose Blake Bortles over. Yeah. It's 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 embarrassing. Love the guy at times. He's I mean he's yeah he's he seems like a nice guy. It's just he's not getting it done. He's a clear liability. I'm going to take out some hate that I have right now on this passing offense, but you could have put anybody on this list, and I would have thought about it. Scott Tolzien. Yeah, give it somebody. Can he complete a pass? 
Can he do that? I'll take it. It's. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he goes out there and has another Ravens game. But it's easy for me. It's. I don't even have to think about it. Really. Yeah. I saw it and I was like, well, I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, I'll take Jacoby as well, all things being equal. But all things aren't equal. Mm-hmm. Blake Bortles is playing the Colts defense. Jacoby Brissett's playing the Jaguars defense. In this game, yes. I'm we, taking Blake to have a better game than Jacoby Brissett this week. I would hope he does. God, I'm going to take it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he's going to do it. And he wasn't terrible for me in fantasy last week somehow. Uh, he's not starting again. Got Dak Prescott back. I might, I might concede this week on the the... Not really competition that we have on the keep one let one walk, but I'm thinking of the franchise here. Yeah, not just this week. (laughs) Obviously, this week you're taking, or in total, you're taking Brissett. But this week, yeah, I would probably enjoy going up against the the Colts rather than the Jaguars defense. Yes. So good stuff there. That's gonna do it for our show. We both have the Jaguars beating the Colts this week. Uh, I think everyone's going to have the Jaguars beating the Colts this week when you turn on your uh, CBS or NFL Network or whatever you're watching for your predictions. I think almost everyone's going to predict the Jaguars to get this game. And if they lose, then it'll be a podcast of me just screaming. If the Jaguars lose this game... uh, Let's not talk about that. They would have to make some sort of move. At quarterback, absolutely. They have to. I agree with you. Because it's time to hit the panic button if they cannot win this game. When you think about this game and you think about how they lose, it's turnovers and not scoring points. Because they shouldn't be able to score enough points to beat us, no matter what they do. No way. So it's if they yeah, there's going to be some real soul searching if if the Jaguars lose this game. I cannot even imagine what is going to happen on Jaguars Twitter if this does not if this win doesn't happen this weekend. Oh boy. But we'll get to that. Cross that bridge when we get to it, obviously. We're going to win. It don't matter. <laughs> Jaguars win in Indy. Let's get it done. Josh Lambeau, get it done, buddy. Blake Bortles, get it done. Leonard Fournette, rest that ankle this week. Be ready for Sunday. And uh, just go get that W. So that's going to do it for our episode. This episode, as every episode, presented by Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gen Jag podcast. They've got their ninth anniversary party happening this Saturday starting at 1 p.m. $2 pints all day. It's at their original location on Roselle and Riverside, and it's going to be a great party. We're going to be out there, so uh, come say hi to us if you see us. Thanks to Bold City Brewery. Check them out online at boldcitybrewery.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Bold City Brewery. Make sure to follow Scott Klein on Twitter, at ScottKlein1, for all the latest uh, Jaguars highlights that he finds interesting. Yeah. Um, Texas banter. If you Wednesdays, I typically do film study if, if I don't feel horribly disgusted by the film. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I just post interesting things that I see during the game. Hell yeah. <laughs> follow myself, at Jordan DeLugo. I'm talking about mostly Jaguars, but you'll get some Gators, some Star Wars, some lots of other random things in there as well. Again, that's at Jordan DeLugo for me and at Scott Klein one on Twitter for Scott. 
That's going to do it for our show. Please join us for our watch party this weekend at Brick's Tap House. We'd really love to see everybody out there. There's free brunch from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Drink specials all day. We're trying to get to 200 listeners to this week's episode. Last week we got over 170, so we're really trying to push for 200 this week. So tell your friends, tell your family. My kids got to eat. Come on. Listen to the show. I don't. I don't get paid for this. Yeah, none of us get paid for this, unfortunately. But we still love doing it. Please share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Those help. Those just help immensely. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud. However you listen to us, we appreciate it to all of our listeners. And that's going to do it. Have a great day, Duval. Let's go up and get this win in Indianapolis. And uh, have a great weekend. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to the Genjag Podcast with your host, Jordan DeLugo. Online at genjag.com. Twitter at Generation Jag. Facebook and Instagram at Generation Jaguar. Block and teal all day. We'll catch you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.